Bible, you're going to need one. We're going through this little tiny letter, uh, not the Gospel of John, but this little epistle, this little letter called 1 John. There's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in 1st John, and we're going to be in chapter 2. Um, we're going to finish up chapter 2 today. 1st John chapter 2. And we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and we sit for the word of the teacher. So if you'd stand with me. We're going to pick up where we left off the last time I taught, and that's verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. The apostle John, as you remember, is 90 years old, so he's calling everybody little children, because uh, nobody's younger than John. And, um, and here again, he, he opens up with that term, little children. But he's going to talk about something very important, and we're going to see that here. He begins verse 18 by saying, little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah? That one is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the study of your word. And Lord, as we undertake this passage of scripture, just seeing this concept of the Antichrist and this idea that the Gnostics were trying to persuade them that they, they needed a deeper understanding. But yet, Lord, you said you already know the truth and it's simple. And, and he abides with you. And that's the simplicity of the gospel itself. And so many come to try to distort it and pervert it. And yet, here we have John at 90 years of age with a, a clear understanding of it and a, and a love to, to share with those that are new in the faith. And so, God, you've assembled folks here today for this particular passage. They, they need to hear it. We all do. But, Lord, I pray that you'd minister in a way in which only you can. And I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase as you would lead us into all truth. And so, Lord, please, we ask you to minister now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. Well, as we've been studying uh, in this epistle, this letter written by the 90-year-old John himself, the last living apostle, and, um, 
And he's, he, he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the gospel according to John. He was actually the youngest apostle. He's probably called to be an apostle around the age of 18. Here the church has existed for over 60 years. He's watching now as the simplicity of the gospel is being invaded by these folks called the Gnostics. And these were the deeper knowledge club. They, they want to take the simplicity of the gospel and confuse these young Christians into thinking that there was something that they didn't understand or there was a deeper aspect to it. And they, they tried to mess with it. And it was just a heresy. And there's been heresies throughout the ages, different types. You can read about the Gnostics. We've covered it in previous messages. I don't want to continue to do it every week. But he, he begins to talk to them about these folks that are coming in to, to steal the simplicity of this gospel. And he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. And if they had been of us, they wouldn't have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This idea of Antichrist, the the term Christ, people think Jesus Christ. They think Christ is his last name. Christ is his title. It means Messiah. It means Savior. He came to save that which is lost. He's the only Savior of the world. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved but that of Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so in this passage of Scripture, we see that, uh, that there are these antichrists that are coming in to distort this concept of who the Messiah is and to turn them away from Christ. But John in this epistle has taken time uh, to, to teach us four things that we've already learned up to this point, and, and this morning we're going to learn a fifth thing. But let's review the four things that we've learned so far. Number one, he said early on in the passage that to have a deeper Christian walk, it's not to have a, a greater knowledge. Uh, we, we know everything we need to know in that sense. He said if you want to have a deeper walk with the Lord, number one, he says walk in the light as, as I am in the light. Uh, John said walk in the light as he is in the light. Confess your sins. That was the second thing. Confess your sins one to another. So walking in the light which means walking in truth, walking in transparency, that you, you know, you, the message matches the man and the man matches the message and there's not a duplicitous life. There's no secret anything. You're walking in the light. Listen, sin is like fungus. It only grows in darkness. And you confess that. And that's that idea. That's that second thing, confessing your sins. Not unto salvation, but unto restoration of fellowship. And a sin is that which separates you from fellowship. And Satan loves to do that. And then the other thing that, that John points out, he says the third thing to walk deeper with the Lord is to obey God's commandments. And we, we learn what those commandments are because John wrote them. And he said, he said this, this picture, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself, and on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. And, and then as he wrote in John 14, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another that you love one another. And, and so you just look at that, and that's all wrapped up, and it's done. And, and, and John's making it as simple as can be. He's making it as simple as can be. It's, it's not rocket science. Just take it as it is. And then we, we studied the last time we were together, uh, the, the, the portion that we studied is that we, we must not love the world or the things of the world. We must not love the world or the things of the world. Now, granted, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That's the loss. The, the, the concept of world is the lost, and we love the lost. We want them saved. But the concept that John speaks of, he says, you must not love the world or the things of the world, is, is the system, the world system, being uh, entrapped by the world system, seeing everything as temporal, uh, looking with your physical eyes, and, and not looking at heaven and not looking beyond. And so with this concept that he's laid down in these four principles that we've studied as we've gone through this, this epistle together, today we're going to learn number five. And number five is simply this, that we must reject false teachers and their teachings. 
We must reject false teachers and their teachings. And right away, right out of the chute, John says he calls these false teachers antichrist because they want to bring another savior. They want to bring another Messiah. They want to bring another concept. And really, you can look at an antichrist as anyone who takes away the concept of Christ. Even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that this is the last hour. They, they, they come to destroy. Listen, the Holy Spirit lifts up the name of Christ. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You can't have the Father without the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can't have the Father without the Son. And if you have any religion, whether it be Jehovah's Witness or, or, or uh, science of faith and healing or Islam or Buddhism or Mormonism or Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh or whatever it is, if they deny Jesus Christ as the Messiah, now, by the way, Mormons would say, oh, no, no, Pastor, we believe in a Messiah, we believe in a Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit. I sat with the president of Fuller Theological Seminary in Salt Lake City, Utah. I thought he was a Christian on, on my end of the table, but apparently he said that these Mormons are going to heaven because they believe in Jesus Christ, they believe in the Father, they believe in the Holy Spirit, they believe in a resurrection, they believe in an atonement. I go, time out, time out. Even the Mormons that were with me were going, that's the, no, you're, that's a stretch. We're monotheistic, they're polytheistic. The idea that they say as, as, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man will one day become. You're all going to be little gods and have your own little planets. You go, I don't know about that. Listen, this is, this is a distortion. This would be considered a Gnostic heresy. This would, this would be one of those areas of an antichrist. This is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. You can dress it up. And, and why is it, and I did this in Uganda, why is it that we counterfeit a U.S. $100 bill? Because it's valuable. It's the most counterfeited currency in the world. And they, they put it up alongside it to give this validity, even though there's no validity. This is, just, this is just linen and ink. It's a counterfeit. But they try to put it up against the real to make it look good. They try to dress it up. It's still counterfeit. And it's got to be stopped. And John says, It's simple. It's simple. You don't get the Father without the Son. This is the last days. These are the last hours. You, you, this idea of having a love for the Lord and understanding that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Another one's not coming. He had to be born of the, tribe of, uh, of the line of the tribe of Judah. He had to be born of a virgin. He had to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He had to be crucified. He had to be born in Bethlehem. It's not going to happen again. All the records are destroyed. There's not another Messiah coming. He's it. That, that's it. And if you deny that, you're lost. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And it's what C.S. Lewis called the trilemma. You can't call him a good man and not call him God. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's God. And I got news for you, he's God. And anything else is the Antichrist. And that's what John says. He says, listen, you don't need this Gnosticism. You don't need this deeper knowledge club. You know, people want to make you think that it's, 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 it's more involved than it is. He says, but you have an anointing, verse 20, from the Holy One. And you know all things. I, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And that no lie is of the truth. A, the truth is never tolerant of a lie. And a lie is never tolerant of the truth. There, there's, tolerance doesn't work with a lie. It doesn't work. You can dress it up. You can do whatever you want with it. It's still a lie. It's still a counterfeit. And just because you want to get along and you don't want to have conflicts, you stand for the truth. You declare the truth. That's what liberty is. The ability to do what's right. 
And we're called to that liberty, to stand fast in liberty for which Christ has set us free. And the truth isn't popular. It never is popular. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. I didn't. I didn't like it. You don't call me a sinner. You know who I am. No, but God does. You're a sinner. He knows all things. And so what John is saying is, I haven't written to you because you don't know the truth. You do know the truth. Jesus is the truth. Don't mess with him. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was fully God, fully man. He was crucified, and the sins of the world were poured upon him. And he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And he's resurrecting. He's at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the Ulangelian good news. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. End of story. That's good news. And John says that's the simplicity of it. He says in verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? Dress it up. Play whatever game you want. make, Make Salt Lake City look amazing. And the, the cleanest streets, you could eat off the streets there. They put Christians to shame by their morality. And I'll tell you, morality is, is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. I'd like to know where the Mormons were when we had that battle for the Boy Scouts. You don't just fold. They were great on Proposition 8. But the idea, and if you're a Mormon here today, I'm just, I'm here to tell you. The Christ of the scriptures is not the Christ that you follow in Mormonism. And scripture, there, there isn't anything extra. There's not the pearl of great price. There's not the doctrine of covenants. You don't add to the word of God. And John says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Father has the Son. Or whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. You don't get the Father without the Son. And listen, he's not the brother of Lucifer. And he's not Michael the Archangel or whatever other deception you want to throw at the world. But you know what? Those aren't the ones that I'm most worried about. It's the church in America that this is the tragedy, this is the travesty. Verse 24, it says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. The simplicity of this gospel. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then listen to this. And this, listen, and this, listen, listen. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. Heaven. We say that, but I, I tell you, if I ask you to describe to me heaven, very few people in the room could. Very few people could describe heaven. Like what John Eldridge wrote, he said, nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. <laughs> I don't want to go. Amen? Amen? Could you imagine hearing my voice every day? That would be hell. That is hell. You're going to be in hell, and the last thing you heard was my sermon. Oh, my goodness. Getting replayed in your ears. 
You remember the Gary Larson, the far side cartoonist? He had this picture of heaven. There's a guy on a cloud with wings and a halo, and he was doing nothing. And there was no one nearby him. And he had this maroon look on his face like he was on a deserted island. He just, the caption just simply said, wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> I mean, what is heaven? In Huckleberry Finn, it was, it was the, 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 the pious Miss Watson when Huck Finn just had this fun-loving spirit and she just thought him to be a devilish child. And, and she tried to tell him about heaven and, and she said, all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. And Huck said, well, so I didn't think much of it. I asked her if Tom Sawyer would be there and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him to be with me. The way she describes heaven, I wouldn't want to be there either. None of these des- descriptions of heaven. You know, and, and, and I think about this idea. Would it have attracted him if heaven was a place where you could do meaningful and purposeful things with people that you loved? What if heaven were, were living in a resurrected body? Living in a resurrected body and being with people that you loved on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers, mountains, untold adventures, I'm in. I mean, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the two are going to be together, and heaven's going to touch earth, and there's going to be the new Jerusalem. You can read this all in the Revelation. John wrote it. And I'm telling you, a new earth. For all you surfers, surf spots no one else is at. Untouched. Pristine. I mean, I want you to picture whatever it is that brings you joy. In the magnitude and the... In, in, you've seen a sunset that takes your breath away. I remember the first time I went snorkeling at night, at scuba diving at night. I thought, this has to be heaven. All the creatures were luminescent. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was like when Marco Polo came back from China and tried to describe to the citizens of Italy what China was like. And the picture of this heaven and this, this, this idea of, of what it meant... And the tragedy is the church today does not cover or talk about heaven. We just avoid it. It was J.C. Ryle who said, I pity the man who never thinks of heaven. I mean, think about it. We study eschatology ad nauseum. And I, it's the most divisive issue in the church. And, and I, I'm pre-millennial and you guys are going to write me off or some of you are going to disagree. I don't care. I really don't. I'm, I'm pan-trib, pan-millennial, it all pans out in the end. <laughs> now, that's lighthearted, but I would just say every eschatology comes with its assets and its liabilities. And, and I, I, I toe the line, but I, when I teach the book of Revelation, I teach it the way John intended. It was to encourage a persecuted church. And the thing is, we study eschatology, we study eschatology, and that's the study of the end times. We study eschatology, but we never talk about heaven. You look at all the writings of John Calvin, nothing on heaven. Nothing. I mean, that's our destination. That's all I could talk about when I was in Uganda. Is my wife and my kids and where I live, my church. I kept showing pictures. I mean, here's one. You know what we don't talk about? Heaven, 
Because we don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about hell. That's the Antichrist. The greatest trick Satan's pulled is to convince you there's no hell and there's no heaven. I'll tell you what. Wherever John Lennon is, and I pray that he's in heaven, I really do. And, and there's a chance he was with some of the things he did in the last days of his life. But I would say this. I would say this. Wherever he is, that song that he wrote, Imagine There's No Heaven and There's No Hell. He's up there right now or down, wherever he is, he's saying, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. You see, for two millennia, for two millennia of the church, this was the North Star. This guided the church for two millennia. And the simplicity of this, that there's the certainty of judgment, there's a longing for heaven, and there's the dread of hell. That guided the church for two millennia. And now we've written it off as though it's, it's unacceptable to talk about. And you know why? Because the devil's a liar. And when the scripture speaks of this idea of the Antichrist, there's no one who, who comes to lie to us more than the devil himself. Verse 26 at John writes, he says, These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you don't need to heed, you do not need that anyone teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true, and it's not a lie. Lie. Deception. Who's the deceiver? Satan. Who's the author of lies? Satan. I mean, John 8, 44, John wrote this as he was listening to Christ himself. He wrote this down. And Jesus said, you are the father you are of your father the devil. He's speaking to the Pharisees. You are of your father the devil. He says, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks of his own resources for he's a liar and he is the father of lies. The reason why we don't know heaven is because we've been listening to the Antichrist. We've been listening to a false gospel because we don't want a hell and we want it to be watered down and we want people to tickle our ears. And listen, if you want me to blow sunshine your way and you don't want a doctrine of hell, go somewhere else. Because you're not going to be comfortable here. But I am not going to entertain you on your way to hell. I refuse. Nobody spoke more of hell than Jesus Christ himself because he didn't want anyone to get, go there. But the reason why we don't have a grasp of heaven is because Satan has deceived us. Revelation 13, 6. John wrote this in his vision. Satan opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme God's name and his tabernacle in heaven and those who dwell in heaven. You know why he doesn't want you to know anything about heaven and why he blasphemes it? It's like a dictator who was kicked out of his own country. Satan was kicked out of heaven. He certainly doesn't want you occupying it. You've been created in the image of God. He hates you and he wants you destroyed. He will do anything he can to destroy you. He's been thrown out of heaven. How do you know that, Pastor? Isaiah 14. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will be like God, the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Yeah. You see, Satan hates the new heaven and the new earth as much as a deposed dictator hates the new nation and the new government that's taken his place, right? Why wouldn't he? He hates you. He hates me. We've been created in his image. And he's determined to rob us of the joy that comes with focusing on heaven. 
When I think about heaven, I think so many of us have a misconception of heaven. And in the coming weeks, we're going to study heaven because John speaks of it deeply. He even says in 1 John chapter 5, he says, uh, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. What is eternal life? What is this idea of heaven? You know, when, when we're absent from the body, present with the Lord, we're not going to be in heaven. We're going to be in what's called Abraham's bosom. And it's this idea of Lazarus, and you've got uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and it's a story where you see that Lazarus uh, used to live on the earth, and the dogs would lick his wounds, and this man li- lived in the lap of luxury, and when Lazarus died, he was in Abraham's bosom, this man was in hell. He was saying, can you have Lazarus dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue? He says, where he is, you can't go, and where he, you are, he can't be, you know, and he just says, there's a separation. He says, and then go tell my brothers that this is an eternal damnation, keep him out of here. He says, look, they've rejected uh, all creation, see, speaks of the glory of God. I sent my prophets. They murdered all of them. I sent my son. He was crucified. The Holy Spirit testifies. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's your last chance. And we've rejected, we've rejected hell and we've rejected heaven. And Satan has deceived us thoroughly. You see, heaven is a real place. And we're not going to be spiritual beings because we're going to have physical bodies there. How do you know that? Well, Stephen, when the heavens were opening, says, I see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. We know that Jesus has a body. (laughs) Walks through walls. Trippy. (laughs) Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Enoch was translated. Yeah. We saw Moses uh, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Bodies. Cool-looking bodies. Think about this, Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living being. First he gave him body, then he breathed him, then he was a living being. So the two go together. We're not going to be something totally different. We're going to be able to recognize each other in heaven. How do we know that? Because they they talk about the 12 uh, prophets. They talk about the apostles in heaven. There's people that you recognize. You know, and, and people say, well, people in heaven can't hear you. Yeah, they can. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice in the presence of the heavenly hosts. They, they, they're checking it all out. And when Satan is cast in the lake of fire, I don't know what demon does it, probably some guy named Norman just throws him in there, some angel named Norman. I'm telling you, though, they, they, it, it's amazing. My mom's there right now. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, Abraham's bosom, probably, but more than likely when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and depending on the eschatology and the like, it's just powerful to me. It's powerful to me. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by it. But the tragedy is that we dismiss, we dismiss heaven. Folks use these... Uh, I call them heaven quencher verses. 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye is seen, nor ear is heard. And you'll never know about heaven, Pastor. Well, let's read that thing in context. <laughs> let's, let's keep going on that. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. He wants you to check out heaven. He wants you to understand it. Colossians 3.1 demands that you seek heaven. That you seek to understand that which is eternal. 
It commands us to have this quest and this pursuit of heaven. It's Colossians 3.1. They throw Deuteronomy 29.29 at you. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And what's the rest of it say? But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Teach your kids too. Get them stoked on heaven. It's not Huck Finn playing a harp. It's not a far side cartoon. It's not an endless church service. It's a resurrected body with energy like an Olympic athlete cruising the universes. Adventures untold. You're, everything you've ever imagined or desired is right there. Mind-boggling. Apostle Paul, this was another heaven quencher verse, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, where he goes through this whole thing. I know a man who was 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a one was cut up in the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Who are we talking about, Paul? You. And then he says, how he was caught up into a paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I don't know why God said you can't utter those. I don't know why you didn't get a chance to share those. But I do know this. I do know this. He let John talk about it. John had a lot to say when he went through the book of Revelation. John had a lot to say. But the tragedy of it is, we don't want heaven because we don't want hell. We don't want heaven because we don't want hell. And the Antichrist today want to dismiss hell. Don't preach on sin. Don't preach on hell. <laughs> well, too bad. I love you too much not to. Matthew twenty five forty one. Jesus said this. He will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus spoke of hell. Never want anyone to go there. He wanted us to avoid it with everything we had. It's this, this sickness that we have in our culture. See, many pastors, and I would say in the church today, many believe it's civilized or humane and compassionate to deny the existence of an eternal hell. I told you this. I was sitting, I was sitting with the president of Fuller Theological Seminary and with a, 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 a pastor of, of a large church in this area, also a Fuller graduate. Uh, they, they, they so wanted people in heaven that they would, they would compromise whatever's necessary to get them in. But I'm sorry, it's not allowed. Listen, if we could do away with the doctrine of hell, I'd be the first one to say I'm in because it's no fun to be a preacher of the doctrine of hell. And so we think it compassionate to deny the existence of an eternal hell. But in fact, we are arrogant to do that. Arrogant that we as creatures would dare, that we would dare to take what we think is moral high ground in opposition to what God the Creator has clearly revealed in Scripture. Who do you think you are? Rewrite Scripture? Listen, I'm not shocked that people go to hell. I'll tell you what I'm shocked about, that people go to heaven. I know me. Are you serious? Did I, if I receive this gift of salvation 
and believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God? That I would have eternal life and my name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you know what I've done? And what I continue to do? And even in the midst of my depravity and still I sin as a sinner, as a Christian, excuse me, that your propitiation, you put your righteousness on my account so that even when I fail, you still forgive me. All my sins, past, present, and future, have been cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Are you kidding me? All because I raised my hand? That's so easy. And Jesus would go, no, it wasn't. That wasn't easy at all. I don't know if you've ever seen the Via Dolorosa, but he was beat. So his own mother couldn't recognize him. Pulled his beard out of his face. He poured his blood all the way up that mountain and drained it all on the cross until every drop was exhausted from his body. His final words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, it is finished. Even during the thief on the cross, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Heaven, it's real. And so is hell. You see, infinite holiness demands everlasting punishment. By denying the endlessness of hell, we minimize Christ's work on the cross. You, you're you're going to tell me that he had to suffer, bleed, and die in the most miserable death ever fashioned in the history of the world. You, you die of suffocation. It's the most heinous, awful death ever created by man, prophesied 800 years before it was ever created that he would die that way of crucifixion. And you're telling me that it was for no reason? Oh, oh, it was for a reason. The endlessness of hell and the sin of man require the cross of Christ and the bloodiness of his death. If we lower the stakes of redemption... We minimize Christ's work on the cross. You see, in Christ's death, there was deliberate judgment upon sin. And it was awful because sin is awful, so is hell. For you to get to hell, you've got to step over the cross of Christ. I'll tell you what, Satan lies and tries to make us think there's no hell. He's got you convinced. You're going to party in hell with your friends. No, you won't. There won't be anything funny about it. It'll be the most lonely, miserable place ever, and it's eternal. And I don't wish my worst enemies that trip. The closest a Christian will ever get to hell is on this earth. And the closest a non-Christian will ever get to heaven is on this earth. And I'll tell you what, that stinks for the non-believer. 80 years of a party for eternity in hell. And you shake your fist and you tell the God who holds the heavens in the palm of his hand that you have questions for him. And you're going to give him a piece of your mind. Serious? Are you kidding me? Do you know who you're talking to? It's not trivial this is, this is not a game. And I'll tell you what. Your default location when you die is not heaven. 
Your default location's hell. It's easy to go to hell. Do nothing. There's only two destinations when you die, heaven and hell. You don't want to talk about one because you don't want to deal with the other, but they're both there. And here's the worst part. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by. We even love to name the street Broadway. (laughs) Oh, goodness me. Jesus said, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few who find it. And you do find it, but you reject it because you're going to party with your friends in hell. Romans says, you're separated from God for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, Isaiah 59.2, listen. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Heaven is not your default destination. Hell is. John wrote, John wrote in Revelation 21, 27, he says, but there shall be by no means anyone who enter heaven if anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be allowed to enter. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter. Almost finished, I I share this with you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I I want you to listen now. Because some of you have been offended, you don't like talking about hell, you don't like talking about heaven, and you certainly don't like to be called a sinner. And I, I told you, if I could take away the doctrine of hell, I would, but the reality is it's real. It's real. Nobody talked more about it than Jesus because he wanted to keep you out. And all you have to do to get there is just do nothing. And that should scare the hell out of you. Literally. Paul wrote, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, listen, behold, listen, behold. Now is the accepted time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. For you to get to hell, just do nothing. You're standing on railroad tracks, the train's coming. You can sit there and contemplate it all you want. And I don't know when you're going to breathe your last. I have no idea. Saw a couple of dead people in Uganda. My wife was driving the other day, saw it looked like a body thrown out on the road off of Lynn Road. I don't, I don't know when you're going to breathe your last. I just know you will. And every religion leads to God, but only one leads to heaven, and that's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And God, you're going to stand before him and give an accounting of your life. And if you say, I was a good person, he'll say, compared to who? And you can say, anyone in this room, you can say compared to Rob McCoy, and God will say, who isn't better than him? He's not the standard my son is, and you've rejected my son. Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Depart from me. But see, behold, today is a day of salvation. And I say that to you because John wrote in Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15, he said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Jesus said, therefore, in Matthew 13, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now we're going to get to heaven, but we've got to go past hell first. And so I would close the message with these last two portions by saying this. Jesus said in John 14, 6, please listen. Because eternity weighs in the balance. And this should scare the hell out of you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't get the Father without the Son. John said it twice in the epistle we read today and here in John 14. And remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were purchased with a price. When you said, raising my hand is too easy, Jesus said, no, it cost me everything. The price paid for you was the, was the sinless blood of God shed upon the cross for the remission of your sins. The price was paid for you. Price has been paid, but you still must choose. You still have to choose. Choose this day whom you'll serve. You need to receive this gift. I love the story of Ruth Metzger. She's a, a professional singer, and she was invited to, to do this very rich man's uh, daughter's wedding and be the singer at the wedding. And she sang at the wedding, and then afterwards she went to uh, uh, the uh, Seattle Columbia's Tower. It's the largest skyscraper in the Northwest. And, and she got there up to the top floor of, of the Columbia Tower. And, and there was hors d'oeuvres and, you know, wine was being passed out. And there was this beautiful brass railing with this masterful staircase that led to the top level of the Columbia Tower. And at the base of it, right in the brass rail, was this, this, this beautiful satin ribbon and mater d's and tuxedos all the way up and, and elaborate and just gorgeous. And, and she had just sung at the wedding and now she's here. And they cut the ribbon and her and her husband, Roy, walk up the steps, and when they get there, there's a mater d' at the top of the stairs with a book that's bound. And he says, your name, madam? And she says, yes, my name is Ruthanna Metzger, my husband, Roy. Okay, opens it up, goes to the M's. Um, M, how do you spell Metzger? M-E-T-Z-G-E-R? Yes, I don't, I don't see that here. Yeah, but I sang at the wedding. Uh, it doesn't matter if you sang. If your name's not in the book, you can't come in. She says, I, 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 I sang at the wedding. I, I'm, I'm, I'm Ruth, Ruth Ann Metzger. I'm the singer. Yes, it doesn't matter if you sang. If your name's not here, ma'am, I can't let you in. And they came over. They ushered her down and her husband, Roy, to the elevator, put him in, and pressed G for garage. Bye-bye. <laughs> and she turned to her husband in the elevator, and she says, I forgot to RSVP. I thought I sang at the wedding. I thought that would get me in. I just forgot to RSVP. But she began to weep. Because she knows now what it's like to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's an Indian tombstone. And it says, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. 
As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And someone scratched below. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> First John 5.13, we close with this. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, heaven, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I'm looking forward to that new heaven. You know, we're going to go away for a time to Abraham's bosom, and then we're going to come back to a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be all redone. I, I, I left Newberry Park. I flew to Uganda. My daughter's getting married August 3rd, and I, I'm going to know this whole, better get your name, RSVP, you'll be out. Just saying. And, and I, I went to Uganda, and my wife, getting in preparation for the wedding, she painted everything and cleaned the backyard and replanted and did this, fixed that. Did, I came back, it was a brand new, like, earth, but it was a brand new house. And that's kind of a lame illustration of what I was trying to get through to you. <laughs> I want you to laugh because we're about ready to be serious. I don't care if you hate me. I don't want you to go to hell. Please, do not neglect so great a salvation. In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Christ. It's, it's all riding on this. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. He also says that if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. And here's how we do it. It's real simple. In a moment, our heads are going to be out, bowed and our eyes are going to be closed. In a moment. And if you're a Christian, I want you to be praying. And then I'm going to just say, if, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know you're a sinner and he is a Savior. You know he's the way, the truth, and the life. You don't want hell, you want heaven. You want to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You're going to raise your hand. I'll be that man you'll profess Christ before. And we'll be good to go. And you go, that's too easy. Again, I would just refer you to Jesus who would say, no, it wasn't. I did this so you could do that. He loves you. He loves you so much that he's a barrier to hell. And today he wants you to receive him. Don't leave here without doing that. I implore you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this epistle of 1 John. That with this picture of little children commenting on the last hour and this idea of deception. And there's a liar out there and he denies that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. But you gave us a promise of eternal life for those who would believe in the name of Christ. Lord, you said that if we believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. For there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then you say today is a day of salvation. And so, Lord, we, we understand it clearly. And, Father, at this moment, I just ask there'd be no movement in the room. Just calm down. Right now, if you've never made this commitment to Christ, I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand to receive him. Right now, raise your hand. God bless you. 
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Any others? Come on now. God bless you over here. Amen. You can put your hands down now. God bless you back there. Lord, thank you for those who have responded. I thank you that their names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They've RSVP'd. They get to go to the top. And Lord, that's because you paid so awful a price to keep us from the misery of hell. And Lord, I pray that nobody would leave this earth without professing Christ as their Savior. And Lord, certainly nobody within the realm of my voice. I would hate to think that they would spend all eternity in hell hearing my words. That would be hell itself. Lord, I pray your blessing now upon those who have given their heart to Christ. We rejoice that the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice, as do all the inhabitants of heaven. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's clap for those folks who give their hearts to the Lord. Hey, listen, would you?